Well, we could finish the rest of the verses on chapter 16 today, but we are actually focusing on 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. And there is a reason why I have decided that way. And if you pay attention, suddenly the mood changes and it is a, like a rapid fire. Five commands. Apostle Paul shoots out. And it has a tone of a military general or, or the command that in battle situation. So if you like the movies like a brave heart, this is a scene. But more importantly, these five commands is actually a summary of what he has been expounding. Uh, remember, Corinthian church has so many problems. And actually, Paul is, in a wise manner, succinctly summarizes what he's been saying in these five things. In other words, if you do five things, all these problems could be could have been prevented. And for us, it is a wisdom. There are two ways of living life. A typical way is live and learn. You know, when, when I was a teenager, I thought I could do anything. And now I'm in my 40s. And some of you are saying, I realize God really humbled me through the years. You live, then learn. But there is another way. The biblical wisdom is actually learn and live. Just because you need to live and learn, it, it, it's, we should really think about the teenagers screaming out and say, Dad, in order for me to really learn, I need to experience that too. So... Uh, I made a mistake on these. Now that, that is a really unwise way of living life. So in order for me to know it's not a good idea to run in the house, I don't need to run into the wall and, oh, that hurts. Now I learn. When you see your brother, you learn and don't do it, you know? So uh, this is really kind of packed with so much things. I just couldn't finish the whole six, chapter 16. Plus, I, I'm not promising that last next week will be our first message, uh, the last message, because I'm thinking about the title of our series, True Spirituality. The question that Paul is just uh, depicting and describing underneath all these problems is to try to depict true spirituality to the Corinthian Christians. So um, next week I might be able to do summary along with other verses. If there's too much, we might have to do another one. But let's think about this. What was really... Corinthian root of the Corinthian problems. And this is the part that 
really gets me um, alert about all this. It is the culture, power of culture was underestimated. In other words, the current of culture was so strong in their Greek philosophy, in their over-sexualized culture and sensationalism, and their uh, the pagan idol worships, aesthetic experiences, and all these things influence them. And it is a drift, not a sudden jerking mood, uh, move, but it is a subtle drift. I, I still remember when, um, when I was a youth pastor, I, you know, having come from Texas, there's no oceans like that. And Huntington Beach, and uh, hanging out with our our high school boys and girls, and and uh, I love water, any kind of water. I just, you know, went into that, and I remember our lifeguard was, let's say it's a nine or something. Somehow, I'm goofing around and playing around, and all of a sudden, I'm at 14 or 15. So I'm looking at it, whoa, it's way over there. How did I drift it this much? Spiritually speaking, we could drift like that. The culture can make us drift like that. And oftentimes in the beginning of our, our crossway our church planting times, we talked about frog in a cattle being slowly heated up. If it's, slow, if it's heated up really fast, it will jump out. But when you ever slowly heat it up, the frog will stay in the water until it gets boiled to death. The cultural effect on us is like that. So Corinthians had a well-meaning idea. The, the subtlety of this cultural influence came in uh, into the cu- church culture and they begin to have the symptomatic things, problems everywhere. So I thought it is important to do two things to this morning. Uh, understand the Corinthian root of each command. But in terms of our uh, study on scriptures, it's not just for the knowledge, but we want to apply and obey. And let's ask this question. What are the cultural trends and influences in our day, in our postmodern, post-Christian American world, in, especially in Orange County, California? I came up with five. Let's see if you could agree with this. I would call it a five cultural trends in our world. The first one is, don't worry. Be happy. It, it is a song as well. And some of us have t-shirts on that, on that quote. And I, I read about 
the origin of song coming from this Indian crew named, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Meher or something like that. So the idea is, in a good sense, it is um, don't stress too much. I think it does rejoice and be anxious, not uh, biblical idea. But the, the posture of this trend is relaxation. And, and to be honest, it's a stupor. It may be, it might not be drunken stupor, straight, but it is a spiritual stupor. It's okay, relax. Trend number two is keep your beliefs, especially religious beliefs, current and relevant. The times has passed. You need to keep, keep up with what's more current and what's more relevant. The Christianity shifts and changes and forms in such a way that it is it is to be relevant to, to the non-Christian world. And then the people will like what we are saying and what we do. Is it? And I know each item, you, you think that I, uh, I'm not that like that, but it is an influence. Remember the whole thing about my free fall decision and the birth of this church was rude awakening to that, um, the realization, the way of culture has taken over where the way of Jesus, way of the cross has to be there. Number three trend is play it safe and just, just go with the flow. Don't rock the boat and don't, don't try to stand out. Go with the flow. Don't be odd. And when you hear things like that, uh, maybe uh, you think you might think that, uh, oh, I, I'm very uh, unique person. I, I choose my own style. Yes, 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 and that. But remember the times that you could have mentioned the name of Jesus. But somehow, in your heart, with all the unique personality you have, you held back. Whatever the fear might have been. Trend number four. Be strong in your abilities. And this is also good and bad. Um, Many of us have taken, you know, Myers-Briggs test and to understand the strength that we have. And strength finder uh, would been really helpful in many ways and have people dialogue about it in leadership circles. Uh, I found out I was a maximizer, which felt, felt really good. I do want to maximize any input that I have. So there's a huge trend on finding your strength and uh, 
whether you are really living in the zone, the, the sweet spot that you need to be in. That's a trend and influence as well. The fifth and last trend is follow your heart in all things. I'm going to puke if I hear that again in Disney, Disney movies. What do I do? Listen, the answer is in your heart. Follow your heart. I.e., be true to your feelings. Whatever you feel, that is the truth you need to follow. Oh, it is really dangerous advice because if you've been following through the First Corinthians, much of the problem is the fact that Corinthians went with their heart. Our heart is pervasively depraved, wicked. Some things I didn't reveal for the sake of for uh, us to really pay attention to the next five commands that actually issued from verse 13 and 14. I chose these trends and kind of worked hard on the opposite of each command. So what is the first command? Before that, I think this will help us to become more aware of our own cultural context and lures of uh, temptations and the strong current, like a whitewater current of the cultural influences. Think, uh, lest we think that we could handle anything. David Wells um, is one of the theologians who are very thoughtful on the cultural stuff, and he wrote about Christ in postmodern world, uh, no place for, uh, no place for truth, and this is from about um, the current churches trend, and he writes. In fact, when we listen to the church today, at least in the West, we're often left with impression that Christianity actually has very little to do with truth. Christianity is only about feeling better about ourselves, about leaping over our difficulties, about being more satisfied, about have better relationship, about getting on with our mother-in-law, getting alone with our our mother-in-law, mother's-in-law, about understanding teenage rebellion, about coping with our unreasonable bosses, about finding greater sexual satisfaction, about getting rich, about receiving our own private miracles, and much else besides. It is about everything except truth. And yet, this truth, personally embodied in Christ, gives us a place to stand in order to deal with the complexities of life, such as broken relations, teenage rebellion, and job insecurities. So with this in mind, let's pay attention to these five commands as a rapid fire of this uh, Apostle Paul on the front line of spiritual battle. 
the first one is be watchful rather than being in a spiritual stupor. And the first command is be watchful. Very simple, right? Do you remember um, Paul is writing about, Apostle Paul is writing about their problems, but so many times either church division or the people who are kind of insensitive and unthoughtful and their knowledge was puffed up and even in terms of eating meat offered to idols. The undercurrent issue was a pride that they really thought they were spiritual. It's a pride. So one of the key verses from 1 Corinthians is 10, 12. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So some of us are thinking, I'm doing okay spiritually, and I got this. I see things right. And this this verse is exactly for you. Because that unguarded moment of pride and stupor, you could fall. That in one unguarded moment, your marriage can be damaged. Your integrity can be compromised. Your spiritual vitality could be washed away. In 1 Peter 5, 8, now Apostle Paul, uh, Apostle Peter's uh, exhortation is be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So in some sense, I think for those of us are relatively in the regular rhythms of doing things, or at least the, there is a fluid uh, normalcy of Christian life, that you attend regularly, that you are involved in groups, that you open your Bible every day, Let's be watchful. Jesus' command for us is watch and pray so that you may not fall into temptation. Just think about this. Watch and pray before you get into a situation that you might be lured, that you might feel the temptation, that you might feel the pressure of culture. Watch and pray. The point is this. If you are trying to make a decision there, it is too late. You overestimated your power of decision, right decision, prudence there. and You underestimated the power of temptation, the influence of culture. So in what ways... Can we be watchful? I really think that 
one of those, I'm okay, this time I could be okay kind of thing, is the mentality that we need to catch ourselves. You know that this coming Saturday is a solitary and silence day. I am totally fine that I am the only one who goes. At least there's one more person. Because this is a, my calling of, from that passage, the Matthew 24 passage, Jesus, this, this time, and not only the, the Gethsemane passage, but it was a passage about what's coming up. The Lord's coming is, nobody knows, so watch and be ready. Vigilance is necessary. Church is growing, things are happening Oh, I'm so thankful. But I look at my heart. When was the last time I really felt drawn to God and just lingering longer because of my thirst for Him is deepened? I need that. Not because there is a crisis. There is a major decision making that I need to do. And I could say even each morning in our daily quiet time, nothing really goes wrong unless you, I mean, you you miss a day. It's not a legalistic thing at all. But being watchful is being alert. May I remind you one more time? One major obstacle of being alert is pride. That you think you're okay. Principle number two and command number two is stand firm in the faith rather than being tossed back and forth by the cultural waves. Notice the article, the. Why is it important? Paul is not saying, stand firm in faith. You got to believe something. You got to just trust something. So it really doesn't matter. No, Paul, Apostle Paul is specifically saying, the trusty worthiness of God and his promise revealed in, namely, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keep the faith. Fight the good fighter of the faith. To stand firm in the faith obviously refers to the gospel and it comes back to the scripture. How do you stand firm? How do you steadfast? How do you provide your stability spiritually? You've got to deep dig into the word so that the word of God can get into you. Colossians 2, 7, just the beginning of that verse, being rooted and built up in Christ and established in the faith. I like that expression, the being established in the faith. It's almost like when the builders are building the pillars, and there's a cement, and the pillar is standing 
established, immovable, anchored. Isn't that what the you know uh, sailors do when they just like my experience at Huntington Beach? If you don't want to be drifted away from the shore, you anchor it. The first thing that you do is anchor your ship. How do you anchor in the faith? By going into the word. But some of us think that, oh, I'm, I grew up in church or you know, my life was really surrounded by Christian. My, my parents are elders and I'm okay. And then we stripped away from scripture the way we drift away scripture is very subtle. And then we become a little wishy-washy about our spiritual conviction. Church-wise, I mean, let, me, let me say this. We're under fierce spiritual battle right now. A subtle battle. It's, it's, it's not an attack on... Um, the church and try to build and try to, you know, set a fire on our churches and uh, all the things that are going on in the Middle East. But in America, what's going on is the major spiritual battle, let's wake up and see, is attack on the spiritual authority, the supreme authority of the gospel. Scripture is challenged. And interpreted in a man-centered way. Isn't it true that even five, seven years ago, the most evangelicals were firm about very certain things about homosexuality. But it is really dangerous to speak even anything against about homosexuality. And I, I will expound on that sometime soon, the, the issue, social issue of gay marriage is very complex. But what is very straightforward from scripture is homosexuality is sin from God's eyes. But many of my pastor friends drifted away, not necessarily black and white, but in a kind of gray area of drifting away. There, this is just the beginning. Men and women, brothers and sisters, we are to stand firm in the faith, in the word of God. So don't notice that not only our reg regular daily intake is important, our devotional life is important, but our conviction, growing conviction in scripture, authority, and theology, sound doctrine, is also important. Principle number three. The third command is act like men. ESV is a more literal translation, but if you have an NIV, it will say 
be courageous. But I like the fact that ESB has really nothing to hide and try to unpack it that way. Because uh, uh, as soon as we say that, there are so many things that we could read into culturally. Act like men. Oh, that's not relevant to me. Because I'm a woman. And I hate male chauvinistic comments. Any kind of superiority, superiority of men. I've done, I'm, I'm done with that. Well, actually, when you pay attention to what really uh, saying in the culture, obviously, the male dominance of that culture of the time, the, throughout the history of Israel, uh, Israel and even the New Testament time, absolutely true. But God's word is always and consistently true. If you remember, some of you probably watched it, thank you, 12-minute video. The problem is not the, the scripture, the word of God. The problem is me. So with, with that in mind, let's take a look at what that means. Septuagint, which is uh, uh, 70 scholars translating the Greek, uh, the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. So this is a God's provision as well, that by the time when Jesus came and the Greco-Roman world happened. So as in our world, it's English is spoken in most places, and the Greek was spoken in many different ways, and even in, even in Israel as well. The Apostle Paul was fluent in writing the New Testament in, in Koine Greek. So Septuagint, translating an Old Testament, typically the same verse, same expression, act like men, is in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. This phrase, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. That's why NIV translates act like men as a be courageous. This is not our culture of saying like, be masculine, manly. Eat like men, and you know, don't worry about little little things, and sleep on the floor. Be like men. <laughs> Eat the chicken with your hand, not with the fork. That kind of thing. It's the desired character. The point that I'm making is this. When, Jesus, when God was described by Isaiah, the God was compared with a nursing mother. Can a, can, a, can a nursing mom forget the child in her bosom? Almost impossible. Unless it's, you know, someone is mentally ill or something, right? But even if that happens, Isaiah says, using, uh, through the mouth of Isaiah, God is saying, I will never forget you. And Paul, describing his ministry to Thessalonica, the people, the Christians in Thessalonica, I loved you so much 
I became like a nursing mom, nursing mother for you. So the characteristic that you're talking about is typically just mainly two things, courage and maturity. Don't be childish. Be a full-grown man, person. That's the point. Don't be wish-washy and be indecisive. Be afraid of our overthink. Be courageous. Take a step. Take responsibility. Take accountability. That's what it is. Men and women can apply this. Must apply this in every, every direction, isn't it? So, in our, in our days, what are some things? What are some things? I think typically, think about a husband and wife situation. We need to take responsibility, take our initiative, rather than asking for somebody, your spouse, to take the initiative so that you can respond. In a perfect world, if everyone is Jesus-like, Christ-like, of course, we, they bring the best out of us. When do you need, when do you need to take courage at your work when there is an issue of integrity as a Christian without bragging about integrity, you need to choose Integrity by courage. When there is a situation that you could name the name of Jesus and share the gospel, you need to be courageous and take a step out. First Corinthians 14, verse 20, Paul is reminding them, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Be prudent, be wise. Principle number four, the fourth command is be strong. Um, This is another elusive command that we need to pay attention to because it's somehow the culture says says to us, uh, you know, be strong, believe in yourself. But as I put put in the bracket, it's actually be strong in the Lord rather than in your own abilities. There are several verses on this, but Second Timothy two one is one of those examples. Paul, Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, young Timothy. He said, "You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In the grace, the the free gift, the freely things that are available to you." What are those? The means of grace, the spiritual discipline is all about that. The scripture is grace. Prayer is grace. 
community is grace. Leading of the prompting of the Holy Spirit is grace. Be strong in that. More explicitly, uh, Ephesians 3, 14 and 16, Paul writes, For this reason I bow, this reason I bow, my knees before the, before the Father. What is he praying for? Verse 16, According to the riches of his glory, that he might grant you to be strengthened with the power through his Spirit in your inner being. This is absolutely different from believing in your, yourself and, and being confident in your abilities and you, you go do it. And Taco's example is such a good example and going into that presentation with spirit dependence, depending on the spirit, drawing confidence from God, not in your own abilities. Because uh, once again, if you depend on your own abilities and strength and your connections and your, your brain, you're going to fall and I'm going to fall. Do you see the paradoxical approach of strength? Even in this simple verse. And other, other verses really helps us to point to this when Paul is saying, in my weaknesses, in my frailty, in my sufferings and persecutions, I glory in Christ. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weakened in my own ways to depend on my own strength, it helps me to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit so I'm stronger than ever. That's what he's saying. So sisters and brothers, how can we take this? This is a actively passive command, isn't it? It's not believing in yourself and you do <clears throat> those exercises in the mirror and you are beautiful, you are confident. Today you're going to experience victories. <coughs> Nonsense. <coughs> On the other hand, we're not to do feeling really low, but uh, woe is me. I'm no good. I, I don't do anything right. Uh, you know, I'm, it's my fault. It's not my, my fault. I'm continually just doing uh, self-condemnation. Obviously, that's not what <clears throat> Paul is. Be strong by realizing your Richness of God's glory is there for us to draw from. And then when you draw that your strength is coming from, from, from the Lord, not from you, the only boast that you could do is boasting in the Lord, boasting because of the Lord, boasting about the Lord. 
fifth and last principle is let all that you do be done in love rather than following your heart. Remember, if you follow your heart, your wicked heart and mind will lead you to something that is blindsight. It is actually a very self-centered way, but we could rationalize. All in the name of other good stuff. Uh, in order for me to draw a boundary, I need to do this. In order to, for me to continually you know, trust in the Lord, experience victory, I need to do this. In order to have a self, good self-image, I need to do this. That's your, what heart you're saying. You're in conflict with your wife or your husband. The prompting of the Holy Spirit about love is you humble yourself. Apologize. Lest we think love is some, some kind of feeling and very feminine-like, let's remember that love never delights in evil. Love has a strength to stand up when the wrongdoings are going on. And another, another aspect of really looking at it is love is not a sprinkle on top of your coffee mix, venti, frappuccino, or whatever that is. It's not icing on the cake. It's not a cherry on top. It is pervasive, encompassing things. Why? 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. As a matter of fact, prior four commands must be done in love as well. Be watchful in love. Be courageous and be mature in love. Stand firm in the faith in love. The measure of our spiritual maturity is really in revealed in how we show our love. Not in the people far away, because it's easier to impress people far away. And you could have a very helpful distance, emotional distance away from you. But our spirituality is revealed mostly around people like people we are very close to, starting with our spouses, starting with our co-workers. And the, your man and woman group, brothers and sisters, and home group people. Is there friction? Are they imperfect? Yes, yes, yes. Are they sometimes weird? Yes. Have you noticed this? The five command was a rapid fire of commanding officer type of feel to it, right? Before the special mission or before the battlefield and bravey heart, that speech. But it is not just a one direction. There is a sharpness and toughness and steadfastness um, of truth. 
but there is a tenderness, thoughtfulness of love. True spirituality embraces both. And if you ask me, have you seen that? Yes, I have. And I'm really thankful for those examples in my life. Well, apart from my grandma and my immediate family, and my brother, <coughs> I still remember when I was um, uh, really much young, not only in age, but in, in my spiritual maturity, I met this person by the name of Dale Holland. I haven't met Wade Holland yet. Ten years after that, I met. Uh, Dale was elder brother of Wade, ten years younger, uh, ten years older, and I met him on the campus, uh, university campus, and I basically asked him to help me to disciple this high school kid who asked me to disciple him. I, I don't know. What do I do? Elgin's brother, who later became, he's a pastor now. So my impression of Adele, um, there is a little bit of a dramatization and exaggeration a little bit. After that, uh, Kevin Costner's movie about Bodyguard, the Whitney Houston, well, that reminded Dale so much because Dale was so sharp in self-discipline. And, and then when, when I mentioned about scripture, scripture memory, uh, when I mentioned about quiet time, how do I help others, he has a file for every single thing. He's so disciplined, sharp. But I remember the time that I sat with him under big tree on the campus. We're supposed to talk about something. But my heart was broken because I broke up with this girl. And I was bleeding inside. He somehow caught that. And he asked me, so tell me. Tell me about it. And he closed his file. And he listened to me as if I'm in the I mean, one person in the whole wide world. And I felt tenderness from him. That's what we all ought to do. Have you read our seven, seven uh, core practices? One of the seven core practices <clears throat> mutual. Love, encouragement, and mutual challenge. Deep love and deep challenge in our home group communities. That's what two things are together. So even this week, we're going to go through the under the pressure of the culture in which we live that tells us to follow our heart and tells us to take it easy and just relax Continue to tell us to believe in ourselves and build on our own strength and abilities. Let's take heed to Apostle Paul's 
five principles of Christian living, for Christian living, that we may experience how to learn and live wisely. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this important reminder for each one of us, starting with me. Thank you for what you're doing at our church and encouragement and affirmation. But we do pray that you will keep us humble, keep us thirsty, hungry after you. God, we pray for renewal. Would you comfort uh, some of us who are discouraged because all these things are pointing at you the opposite direction of their lives? I pray for your gentle call that the Holy Spirit will start working on a, a new work of renewal in their hearts. And as a church, we pray that that your spirit will keep us expectant and thirsty and hungry for the upcoming spiritual uh, things that you prepare for us at the old church retreat. We pray for your spirit's work and anointing of that. We boldly ask that you will go ahead of us just to within those 48 hour plus of time as God's family that you will give us supernatural experience of renewal and refreshment, rejuvenation of our spirit. Not just alone, but with our sisters and brothers as one family of God. We pray that you will bring uh, the hearts of every direction in our church, to unified, refreshed, and keep us continually be in bind, in love together. My prayer is that the First Corinthians lessons will continually linger in our hearts. So may the Lord keep you and bless you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May the Lord strengthen your inner being in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.